the desert. A never-ending wilderness, barren and desolate. But even here, if you look closely, there's life to be found. These are yucca brevifolia, better known as a Joshua tree. This single tree could be hundreds, even thousands of years old. And that's because what you see is only part of the story. Underground, there's a massive network of roots going down to water, pulling that water out of the ground and storing it in the tree, keeping the tree alive, resilient to the desert wasteland. In the world today, one in eight Christians are discriminated against, oppressed, even attacked, just because they follow Jesus. They are desperate voices crying out in a dry land. When I became a Christian, my beliefs turned against me. I no longer belong. In China, the government installed facial recognition cameras in our sanctuary. That camera can gather the private data of our church members. They will intimidate them, they will prevent them from going to church. That means We know from this year's World Watch List that 340 million Christians live in places around the world where they are discriminated against or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That number is hard to imagine, hard to get your mind around. But we know that God is faithful. In the book of Isaiah, God tells his people, I will make new ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In midst of persecution, churches are growing more. Through the persecution, God is making the church grow. We are so united together like never before. We have a revival in our church, even in the severe persecution. God has sent a river into the wilderness, and his people are resilient. Like the Joshua tree, they're living boldly in the desert, and they depend upon the church, the roots of his family, for water and support. Right before Jesus left, he instructed his followers to wait for the Spirit. He had talked to them about the Spirit. He had revealed to them how wonderful it would be when the Spirit actually came and indwelt every believer. But, but he wanted to make sure, so the last words right before he left, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. We find out that the Spirit's arrival was a game changer for the church. They would receive power and become witnesses. So they waited. And the Spirit came. And when it and when He came, they received power and became witnesses. Three thousand people initially came to faith. Now, to put this in perspective, about 50,000 probably lived in Jerusalem at that time. But during the festivals, especially during Pentecost, it might swell to about 125,000 people. 
So these 3,000 new converts, well, they were devoted to community. Qualitatively, these clusters of Jesus' followers made four commitments. They were going to learn from the apostles to be taught God's word. They were going to spend time in fellowship where there would be accountability. And they would be able to do life together. They would eat meals together, which also included the Lord's Supper and worship. And they would pray. So the church was formed and the church grew. And the message of grace was boldly proclaimed. And lives were being transformed all over. Last week, we ended in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John had just healed the lame beggar in the name of Jesus. The miracle astounded the crowds. And when Peter saw that, he saw his opportunity to be able to proclaim the good news to all these other folks. So Peter proclaimed that the man was healed because of his faith in Jesus. So he encouraged the crowds to repent and turn to God that they might also experience his refreshing message, his refreshing presence. Literally, that they might be also healed spiritually. This was a stark message. It was bold. It was powerful. It was convicting. And we're going to continue this amazing story of the early church in Acts chapter 4. So if you could turn your Bibles there, but I'm going to pray first. Father, once again, we come before you at this time in our gathering. We ask that you would powerfully come and teach each one of us. That your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active. That you would use your word to inspire and to convict and to encourage and to strengthen. Lord, we are grateful for what you did 2,000 years ago. But we know, God, that it hasn't stopped back then. That your movement continues. And that you are working even when we don't see it. Lord, we know you're working in the churches around us. And we ask you specifically, even now, during some of this rougher weather, that that you would use your church to equip others, to strengthen. We ask you, God, that... The churches all over this country and all over our world, and in particular, those places, God, where, well, it's really hard to gather. Whether it's a couple people or 10 or 20, it's, it's frowned upon. And the government is oppressive. And the community, well, is repulsed by it. God, your church continues. Your words give life. And your Holy Spirit continually empowers and gifts your people 
to be part of your mission. So God, this day, even today, we ask you to open our eyes that this text would jump. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start by reading the first four verses. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your flat screens, or on the screen behind me. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, remember he had just healed this this lame beggar. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now total about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. While Peter and John were speaking to the crowds, some of the religious leadership basically crashed the party. They were speaking to them in a part of the temple that was large, and and they were able to gather the crowds. Well, this caught the religious... It caught their attention. The Sanhedrin the ruling body of the Hebrew faith at that time, numbered about 71. So there's 71 leaders, mostly rabbis. And this group of people dealt with religious and ritualistic temple matters, along with the community's criminal matters. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the main religious parties. And they both were represented on this council. But the Sadducees, they had the power positions. They were the elite. And they held more honorable spots. More importantly, these Sadducees, if you look at the difference, were the group of leaders that did not believe in the resurrection. They thought that once you died, you died. And there was no afterlife at all. So you can see why the message was quite offensive to them. Now just a side note before we move beyond this. They had, or the Sanhedrin, had the ability to inflict capital punishment until 30 AD, until Jesus actually started his ministry. They could pronounce somebody to actually be killed. Capital punishment happened often, but that privilege was taken away from them. So if we go back to this group, trying to understand the power of this group, these robed leaders were religious And the way I'd like to put it is they were powerful like the Supreme Court. But in many ways, they ruled like the mafia using scrolls instead of Tommy guns. 
Now, some of these extremely powerful men were there, and they were quite disturbed. They didn't like the miracle, and they didn't like the preaching. And as I said, they were extremely upset when they were talking about Jesus, this Messiah who had been risen from the grave, which affected their authority and the power in their community. But they couldn't deny it. People were responding. And the scriptures tell us that another 2,000 came to faith. So they didn't know what to do. So they tossed Peter and John in jail. And what I want you to understand, you can't just breeze by verse 3. This started the first wave of persecution in the early church. Now let's just think about this. It was the first time that Peter and John were in jail. They were tossed in jail because of an act of kindness done in the name of Jesus. Their thoughts had to go back to Christ's teaching. Christ's words had to have been sinking in. They had heard that following Jesus would cost them. They saw it worked out in Christ's life. But it hadn't really affected them much. They had heard Jesus say that you would be my witnesses. And so far, actually it was going pretty well. I mean, the first time that Holy Spirit descended upon them and they started speaking to others in other languages, 3,000 people get saved. They're probably sitting well, around the table that night saying, <laughs> this witness thing this is pretty cool. Well, all we do is be able to give the gospel and, and people just come by boatloads. This is great. They're witnessing and actions actually were going pretty well. Peter and John, as they walked into the temple, they saw a man who was lame. And in the name of Jesus, extended the ability to walk, to heal this man. So now... A 40-year-old lame man was dancing. That's good. So, so they have been witnessing in word, and, and it seems to be going well. And, and their actions as they display Jesus' power and authority, and, and that seems to be going well. But now, being a witness when you're in jail, being a witness when the waves get higher, being a witness when the flames get hotter. They were just in jail for a simple act of kindness. Why weren't the religious leaders excited about this? We know from this point forward that there was opposition to any spirit-filled movement of God. But the words were still true. You will be my witnesses. That had a sit. And they had a wrestle with that. Let's look what happened in Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 5. 
The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. They brought in two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become a cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now I just described a little bit of the Sanhedrin, the 71 person council. Peter and John were called to stand before them the next day. They questioned Peter and John and asked, by whose authority did you heal this man? Now, let me remind you that this was exactly the same court that had condemned Jesus just months before. But the scriptures tell us that Peter was filled with the Spirit and replied to the most powerful court in the land. And he said this, Since you asked, The man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. You rejected Jesus, the cornerstone, the Messiah, the resurrected Savior. You can find salvation in nobody else but Jesus. You see, God has declared that Jesus is the only and the perfect means of salvation. Now, what the scriptures tell us is that the council was amazed. I'm pretty sure they had nobody stand up to them like this. And when somebody did, they were usually, well, well educated. And they knew how to argue well. But the council was amazed. This response was unprecedented. These untrained Galileans. They were fishermen. Where did they get their boldness? They didn't look intimidated. And they were so articulate. They had no official rabbinic training in the scriptures or in ministry. Their only visible credential 
is that they had spent time with Jesus. Oh, if you mark your Bibles, mark that. Put an underlined highlight that if you would. The big deal here is that these men spent time with Jesus. Do you understand what just happened? Two Galilean fishermen stood up to the 71 most powerful people in the land. How is this possible for these non-professionals? Those without the robes to do this. And we find the clue in the scriptures. There's only two reasons. The first reason is they were filled with the Spirit. They were controlled by the Spirit. And when you are controlled by the Spirit, according to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, is that you will receive power. This is a fruit of being filled with the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. So number one, they were filled with the Spirit. Number two, they spent time with Jesus. That absolutely inspires me. There's not some trickery here. There's not some kind of secret sauce. It was simply that they were filled with the Spirit and spent time with Jesus, which gave them the ability to stand in the most unusual spot and give a powerful message. You know, it really stuck out to me as I tried to put myself in this position. These two guys cared and shared the good news with the enemies of the cross. Do you get this? It wasn't just a neighbor. It was someone that had so much power and authority. And they not only defended what they did, but in my opinion, tried to encourage them to repent because they wanted even their enemies to understand the fullness and the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. These guys stuck out, not only with their boldness, but with their heart for the lost, for those that just had condemned Jesus, their friend. These were really the enemies of the cross. But verse 12, as we look at it, gives them an opportunity to repent. It's on the very top of the screen there. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by by which we must be saved. Nobody can save all 71 of you guys. All the stuff that you're doing, all the religion. You need 
Jesus. You need a Savior. Don't reject Him. He's the cornerstone. That's what you guys have been doing. He's the kingpin. He's the main reason. That we're here today. Can you imagine this? The atmosphere had to be electric. It was the perfect time for one or two or maybe all 71 of them to repent. The Word of God was given. They could take off the blinders. They could see the effect of the message. They saw the lame man who was healed in the name of Jesus. They had heard all the reports of the resurrection. All they had to do was put their faith in Jesus. But they didn't. They didn't. Now, before we go further, I, I just have to focus on a few things here so, so we don't miss it. Being filled with the Spirit is critical for the journey. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer, but only fills or controls the obedient ones. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in every person who comes to faith, who puts their faith in Jesus. But the Spirit fills or controls you, directs you, guides you when you walk with God, when you're in fellowship with God, when you're obedient and connected to the vine, to God. Now Peter's filling right here is in the passive voice of the Greek. Now, the reason I say this is that this is often referred to as the divine passive. Because the filling of the Spirit occurs or happens when a believer walks in obedience to the Word and the Spirit. This action literally comes from God. It doesn't happen because one passionately requests it. Now I'm going to show you a diagram, and we call it the two circles here. It is absolutely a diagram for anybody that's been part of our ministry, probably has it memorized by now. It is a diagram that I use more than any other diagram in the ministry that I've been in. We've got handouts of this in our literature rack if you need, if for some reason you don't have it. But this is critical to understand. Immediately, if you can picture this, is when you come to faith, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you get put into two circles. The top circle is called the position circle. That means you're a child of God. It is this time when the, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. When you come to faith, when you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in your life. 
It's called justification. But sanctification is what happens as we do life. We also immediately get tossed in that second circle. But the truth is, every time any one of us sin, we jump out of that circle. And we're out of fellowship. We are not walking with God. We're not connected to the vine. We're living our life in our own power. We are not filled by the Spirit. We are not controlled by the Spirit. We are living in the flesh. All these terms you'll see in the Scriptures. But the beauty of this is in John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to dump us back into that fellowship circle, the walk circle. And it's when you're obedient, when you're listening to God, is when you are filled or controlled by the Spirit. So it's not some special action. It's a reality. But as soon as any one of us rebel, as soon as any one of us don't listen to God, it's called sin and separates us. And we cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. We are not walking in the Spirit. We are not filled with the Spirit. And oftentimes that is especially when I have conversations with folks and say, you know, Rick, I'm not seeing any fruit in my life. You know what, Rick? I'm not experiencing boldness. You know what? I am not able to witness. You know what? I don't have courage. You know, and it, and we start looking at your life and say, well, it seems to me that you're not filled with the Spirit. Let's look at that. And so, Again, all the way through Acts, we're going to keep talking about this. But it's really important at this time when Peter and John were speaking, they were filled, they were controlled with the Spirit, and there was fruit. This is foundational in understanding Acts and actually the church. Having the Spirit living in you means you can be filled by the Spirit. It doesn't guarantee that you will be filled. In fact, in my opinion, a person who is not filled or controlled by the Spirit, a person who is not living in fellowship with God, is one of the most miserable people on the planet. Because God desires so much to stay connected. And we have disconnected ourselves because of our sin. Now, spending time with Jesus preceded the boldness and the power. And I can't overemphasize this. What is so invigorating to me is that these normal guys spend time with Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They sat at his feet. So many times, especially newer believers, I encourage them, spend time in the Gospels. Read the Gospels over and over and over again. Learn from who Jesus is, how Jesus responds, what Jesus does in different circumstances. It models for us exactly what a person looks like when they are so 
in fellowship, filled with the Spirit. And what was cool about this scenario or situation is that these two men, empowered by the Spirit, exude calmness and boldness. That's what happens. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter 4. The scriptures say this. The council's a little confused on what to do. We jump into verse 16. What should we do with this ma- with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny they performed a miraculous sign. And everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak in the name or teach in the name of Jesus. But, circle that, Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone, everyone, everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign and the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 30 years. This actually is a pretty sad part of the text. The Sanhedrin, instead of repenting, they pulled the power card and began to threaten these Galileans. The council knew it was in trouble, but they chose to keep the blinders on rather than repent. And it happens even today in so many churches that those who are steeped in religion, those who are, I would call, the robed often do this. Instead of listening to God's word, they kind of put their hands up and look at tradition and don't respond. Peter and John respectfully answered. They weren't threatened or intimidated by this group. They were going to obey God and keep telling His story. The story that changed lives. The story that allowed the Holy Spirit to indwell people and give them power and authority and make them witnesses. They had seen this. They saw the power of transformed lives that Jesus brings and they were not going to be thwarted. You see, obeying God trumps obeying Well, really, anyone, any organization, or any government. This is so important to remember, especially in today's culture. Now, as soon as this happened, something really cool happened to Peter and to John. Verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Now sometimes we might just look at this as maybe a side note. But I think this is really how the early church operated. 
once Peter and John were freed. They went to the community of believers and told them about their time in the Sanhedrin. They shared with them that they were able to answer their questions boldly. They talked about their night in prison. And they helped them understand what they had just gone through. And I got to believe that their response is going to surprise you. Look at verse 24. I'll read through verse 28. When they, when this group of believers heard the report, all, everyone there, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. And they prayed this, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Verse 27, in fact, this is what happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So they told the group of believers, the community, what had happened. And immediately they gathered to pray. But what was so unique, because oftentimes that can happen, what they prayed about. The prayer was spontaneous and the prayer was filled with scripture. Maybe you don't even notice that. But they start off just saying this, you are king, you, God, are sovereign. They just saw two of their leaders tossed in the clink. The religious leaders were putting the screws to them. They told them never, ever, ever to talk about Jesus. They stood up to them boldly and said, are you kidding me? That's all I'm going to talk about. Do you understand who he is and what he does for people and the life that he gives? Are you crazy? God gave us this message. You can't shut us up. And they let him go. What happens to a time when the message or the ministry gets opposition. What happens to a church that starts getting pressured? Wow. They start praying, oh God, you are sovereign. 
You know what's going on. You allowed Peter and John to go in prison. You allow them to go and stand before the Sanhedrin. The message is going out, God. This is not my plan. I wouldn't have done this. But you did, God. You are sovereign. You're in charge of everything. It's a direct quote from Psalm 146, verse 6. And then he says, we're going to trust your plan, even if it means jail time. And then the Christians, the recorded prayer here is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where the psalmist chides the enemies of God for their vain attempt to destroy the anointed. They're basically saying, God We know you win. We're not seeing you working right now. It seems to us like the enemy even is getting a stronghold. They're tossing our guys in jail. But God, we know you win. We know you're in control. And we know we're going to be on the winning team. And then they use this in their prayer. We even saw the suffering of your anointed servant. Jesus had a purpose. They're basically saying, we're not sure about the suffering. But we know that all the things that are happening, including the suffering, the suffering that happened to Jesus, the suffering that happened to Peter and John, we know that it's about you and your plan. It's not about us. You, You may have noticed this. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask at all that their pain would be eliminated. And then in verse 29, look at this powerful part. And now, O Lord, O Master, O God, hear their threats. And give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May the miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They start off again recognizing, oh Lord, you are sovereign. You are king. You hear their threats. We're in a storm. We're under persecution. Give your servants great boldness. Nothing about protection, as I said. But hey, we want to keep doing what you've asked us to do. So give us the boldness in preaching your word because that's what transforms lives. And as I would even look at this and maybe take a little bit of liberty, but but I think again, if you look at the way the construction here is in the original language, I would probably translate it more like this. Give your servants great boldness in preaching your word as you stretch out your hand. 
It's an infinitive clause here. It's while you're working. We don't see you working. But we know you're working. We saw a lame man get healed. But we know you're working in many others, at least 2,000. We see it. So give us boldness. As we preach your word, as you, God, continually stretch out your hand by Christ's power and authority. Stretch out your hand with healing power. You heal when your hand is stretched. You do wondrous signs when your hand is stretched. So give us boldness while you do that. They're almost saying this, if I could, while you're getting the job done. Lord, we want to be part of what you're doing. Wow. And then in verse 31. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. This prayer was answered immediately. The building shook. They were filled. And they preached boldly. So I look at this last part, which absolutely invigorates me. Especially a kid from Chicago. You look at these normal Galileans and the impact that they made. They spent time with Jesus and they were filled with the Spirit. So what does the church do when the waves get higher and the flames get hotter? The first thing they did is they went immediately to their community. And we talked about that last week in great detail. How the church is community. And part of community is telling God's stories. Rejoicing in how God is working. You know, it's my privilege right now to be able to introduce to you Pastor Paul and Shaw. Would you, would you come up, please? We have the opportunity to be able to partner with two new missionaries. And I've asked them, because this is the community, for them to be able to come and share their story. Now again, it's a few minutes here. They're going to be around afterwards. We've got some prayer cards. We've got some more information. But we as a church are excited To partner with them in order to be able to share good news. Tell us a little bit. Well, thank you, Pastor Rick. Uh, I was excited when I looked in the bulletin today and I saw that we were identified as the missionaries of the week. So thank you. It's quite an honor. Uh, So you might be a little distracted by my outfit today. I'm wearing a traditional Central Asian. Both of us are wearing Central Asian clothing today just to kind of give you a little bit of an exposure to what the culture looks like. 
But um, I want to get back to, of course, the story that I've been asked to share today. As Pastor Rick is talking about um, these chapters from the book of Acts, um, these are the very chapters that we use when we do discipleship in Central Asia because it's so integral to the to understanding what the church really is. We look back to how it all began. Um, so my wife and I find ourselves in situations like Peter and John and the disciples from time to time. So I'll share one brief story. It's a dramatic one. I received a phone call one day from uh, another missionary that I knew uh, who lived in the, the same community that we're in. And he said, Paul, um, I need you to do something for me if you're willing. Would you call this widow... She's looking for someone who speaks English, who could kind of give like a, what would we say, like a, a eulogy at her husband's funeral. She was a local woman from a Muslim family. Uh, I was told this was going to be a small funeral gathering for her husband in her home. Her husband was a foreigner, and he was not Muslim as her family was. He was probably an atheist, as best I could tell. And it seemed to be a bit of an unusual request. We were expecting we would show up in this home and there would be maybe 10, 12 people. And, and I would, and, and my, the person who was inviting me says, Paul, I can't do it. He says, the reason why I'm calling you is because I know you will share the gospel. And these people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my wife and I hailed a taxi the next day. We show up in this place. We go down this kind of winding road in a village, and we see a quite large group of people, not ten, probably well over a hundred, and they're all dressed as conservative Muslims. And uh, we hopped out of the taxi and kind of kind of elbowed our way through the crowd a little bit to find the, the family of the deceased and uh, they were just uh, grief-stricken. They didn't know what to do. And they just said, what do we do? This was our first meeting. <laughs> so I became the funeral director. And so I came up with a quick schedule for them. And I said, this is what we're about to do. So I was the last one to speak. After several people had shared their, just their pain about you know, losing this beloved family member, they kind of handed me the microphone and said, just get it over with. It's kind of... <laughs> kind of the instructions I was given, and I thought, well, Lord, I've been praying, my wife's been praying. Um, only you can make this possible, and it's because of you that I'm here now. So I walked around this large group of people. There was like a big oval in the middle and a hundred and some people sitting around me. And I walked around this group of people, and I could stand just as close as this with many of them and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I talked about the reality of life and death that unites all people. Everybody, you're here because you were born, and we all know we're going to die. And the deceased, in this particular culture where we're in, it's open casket, and they're right there. So as I'm talking, the, the corpse of this man is my illustration. And I said, and, and as I'm speaking about the gospel, the interpreter is starting to stutter because he's not Christian, and he's looking at all these conservative Muslims, and there's plenty of rocks available, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they could have gotten violence. We didn't know. We didn't know the culture so well. And my wife said as she was 
you know, directing her prayers to me. Now she's switched to the interpreter because he's holding back and he's not, we know enough, he was interpreting in Russian. We know enough of the language that even then to know he wasn't quite sharing the message as I was delivering it. So I, so I changed the focus to me and I said, this is why I, we, as believers in Jesus Christ, know that we must have a Savior to be saved from our sins because all men must die. And as King Solomon said, Suleiman, known to most Muslims, all men sin, therefore all men die. There were tears coming down people's faces. You can see people's nodding their heads because they wear head coverings. So you see the material moving as they move their, uh, nod their head. So much more I'd love to share with you about that event, but I want to bring us back to the text again, that the reference in Acts 1 through 4 that you guys are studying now. The believers prayed for boldness, and God answers that prayer. I just want to encourage you with that word today. And I'm going to cut myself off here. It's hard, and I'm going to give the microphone to my wife now because she has something she'd love to share with you. Thank you very much. It's a privilege for us to be here. And um, many of you we met last time when we came, but many of you are still new. So um, thank you, Pastor Rick. When you're preaching with such passion and zeal, I feel my heart was beating so fast. (laughs) Just uh, really a privilege and honor for us to share what God is doing in Central Asia. There are, uh, in this whole world, there are more than 17,000 people groups. And out of those... People groups, there are still seven, more than 7,000 people groups have not heard the gospel. They're called unreached people groups. And uh, it's our uh, honor, privilege to be able to reach out to uh, actually five of them there in the country where we are. I saw the bulletin says Kazakhstan. Uh, we are currently more in Kyrgyzstan, but it's all Central Asia, all the stands, as you know, stands. And so there we reach out to, uh, especially we reach out to the Hui people, the Dongan people, the Uyghur people, and the the Uzbek people, and the Turk people. And uh, we're really uh, just so blessed to be able to Mm -hmm. share the gospel to those people who have not heard the gospel. Yes, we were threatened. Yes, we were asked to stop sharing the gospel, but... Nothing can stop us because when the Holy Spirit filled our hearts, we must speak the word of God boldly. We must exalt the name of Jesus Christ. In the people groups who are dying every day, many of them dying without Jesus Christ. And uh, as my husband shared that story, I would like to share a story. So many wanted to share with you, but I want to focus on one story. We had a Chinese New Year outreach event there um, in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, later you'll see the video. Um, just wanted to share what God is doing there. It's just uh, nothing is impossible with our God because he is God and he created all the heavens and earth. And he owns the whole universe. And when we were told in such a Muslim country, in the Muslim community, it's impossible to have anything like a public event, like a large event to reach out to people with a gospel message. But we've... 
<laughs> also illegal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we felt the Lord was leading us to do that. So we prayed about it. And now, so God orchestrated everything together for us to do that. And uh, we were told by the local ministers, local pastors, local believers said, if you have five people, praise God. If we have five Muslims to come, praise the Lord. If we have more than 10 people, it is a miracle. But we had more than 400 people who came to this event. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. Yeah. And and, uh, out of all the 400 people, more than 300 people were Muslims. And the majority of them were a people group called the Dongan people. The Dongan people are considered one of the most difficult people group to reach out to with the gospel. And they were originally from China. I'm from China, by the way. <laughs> and so they moved to Central Asia because they wanted to convert China to be a Muslim country, but yet they lost Praise God, they lost. <laughs> so, and then they moved to Central Asia. And they're a very isolated people group. For them to come, so many of them to come to our event, hear the gospel message from beginning to end, multiple times, and nobody left early, and nobody stoned us at the end, nobody started any violence there, and uh, nobody cursed us. Instead, many, many of them walked out with big smile on their faces. Praise the Lord. We pray for them. Many people told us before we moved to the south, reaching out to more Uzbek and Uyghurs, and they said, "There, oh, okay, time, time out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe later we'll share more." But <laughs> so, anyways, many of them told us that they even felt they already accept Jesus Christ in their hearts. But for their culture, Muslim culture, they cannot make it public yet because they will either be rejected by their family, you know, community, or they will be killed even. So, but we did lead Dongan and Uzbeks to the Lord, <laughs> and many of them, and we are doing discipleship with them, and we praise the Lord for what he has done. The Lord said in the book of Acts, teaching us that, when he allows us, enables us to do, to perform miracles and wonders, he is going to affirm his message through allowing us to do that. So he affirms his message is true and powerful. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted, be glorified, and the name of the Lord be filled and glorified in the land of Central Asia. And we thank you very much for your prayer and for your future support and in all different kinds of ways of partnership. And we love you guys very much. And thank you, Pastor Rick. And thank you, Margie. I don't know where you are, but... <laughs> let, let, yes, let me, let me pray for them right now. Father, we thank you. We just thank you. We know that your word is powerful. We know that our world is lost. And we know that you came to seek and to find those who are lost, to give life, to give purpose. God, it is a privilege for Crosspoint to be able to partner with Pastor Paul and with Shao. We thank you for their excitement for the gospel, for the courage that you've given them. And we pray even now, as they prepare to go back, Lord, that you would walk with them and go before them. 
We thank you, Father, for the grace that you continually give your church and for the privilege we have to speak boldly about you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Something very special happened in Acts chapter 4. The disciples, in many ways, knew about the persecution. But they were experiencing something that was transforming that community. The Holy Spirit had filled them. The message of grace was going out and lives were being changed. It was so exciting to see the community come together and pray. And how they prayed, recognizing again that God is sovereign, can use all of these things. How wonderful. How amazing. And how cool that we have the same God today. God is active and continues to work even when we don't see it. You see, Dr. Luke has been writing the book of Acts, describing the birth of the church, which really is an unstoppable church. They are experiencing God's power and they are witnessing May God use these texts to inspire and convict. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I want that. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to experience boldness that comes from above. I want to be led by your spirit. I want you to do work in me. But God, my prayer is more, even more than just for me. God, you've called your church. We know, Lord, that naming the name of Jesus will bring persecution. There will be suffering. Some of our people groups all over the world, Lord, are suffering extreme pain right now. But God, we know that anyone who is faithful will suffer. Lord, would we have your eyes, would we be able to see your sovereignty in all the things that happen? Thanks, Lord. Thanks for giving us this assignment and for letting us represent you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.